Welcome back to Paradigm Run. I'm your host, Mark Barrios. It was Robert Johnson, the psychoanalyst, who once asked Dr. Fritz Kunkel, how do you learn psychology? Dr. Fritz Kunkel replied, there are three ways. The first is to read all the Greek mythology because it is all right there. The second is to read the collected works by Carl Jung. And the third is to wait and watch. And that is really the best way. But in terms of mythology, it's not only Greek mythology that can help us to learn and to understand psychology. It's within all the ancient stories and tales the Native American stories from a thousand to two thousand years ago. The spiritualities, the stories contained within the Vedas, the Bhagavad Gita, and so many more. It's the archetypal motifs that exist within these stories, within Greek mythology, the spiritualities, and even Christianity itself. All those stories, that symbolic meaning and hidden messages behind each of those stories it still lives within our psyche today. That's why we dream of these ancient Greek figures or all these other Native American tales. And you'll see today in one of Fern's dreams, an old Native American appeared. And after he began researching, he soon realized who it was. So let's go ahead and dive into it. Here's episode 14, Emancipation from the abyss. I hope you enjoy. Vern had several days of little to no dreams. In his view, the unconscious was allowing him to recover from the emotional and psychological intensity of the battle he endured with the demon within. Vern continued to look within, open to discovering why his vehicle had now just gone out of commission, the moment he was preparing to leave. He knew that couldn't be by chance. Conscious of his personal mother complex, Vern's dreams flowed again in conjunction with his archetypal mother research. Vern dreamt in the coming days. I saw a young boy. He said, I don't want to be a man. I saw another child, but it appeared he couldn't walk. I asked him, why can't you walk? The child looked at me and said, I've been following this man for so long. I don't know how to walk on my own anymore. I knew somehow the boy could in fact walk and that it was just psychological for him. Vern awoke and began exploring these dreams. Vern saw his inner child had a resistance, some psychological defense mechanism to moving forward. Whatever this was continued to prevent Vern from becoming a man again and taking life on after all the hardship he just endured. Vern was driven to understand. The dreams flowed extensively and vividly. Vern dreamt and recorded numerous dreams. The first. I saw Charles Bukowski, the writer. He was living in a nursing home-like facility, 
and I heard him reading one of his works. The poem was sad, though, about him being where he was. The next. I saw my buddy Sal. He said, Man, I have got to go. He said this in a manner as in to leave his environment. The third dream. I was outside looking at a building from a distance. It was tall and had a tower-like top to it. It could have been a small castle. I then saw a black flag with a white design flying on top. I knew this building was the Minotaur's, and it even may have said Minotaur on the flag. I was inside at one point talking with someone, and I said to them, I must go. I can't stay here. I must go after that which is pure and uncorrupted. The next one. There was a pool in a backyard of an unknown house. It had a screened-in cage around it which I was standing in. Plants and vines were growing all over it, as if it would consume it. The next one. A woman I do not know looked at me and asked, So how long are you staying here? In the last dream of the series, a person looked at me and said, Do you know that which brings you to your knees? Follow it. Verna woke and thought, These are similar dreams before realizing my mother complex. Why are they still ongoing? I'm still in the Minotaur's labyrinth. What is this? Vern began to be honest with himself again, and he thought within. Okay, I was making a plan to go live my own life, and my truck was stripped from me. I can't see that as being by chance, though. So what does this mean? Here I am trying to make a change in my external environment, but there's still something in my internal structure that needs change. I'm externalizing. I'm literalizing something. I'm trying to run away rather than face it. But what are you? Vern analyzed these dreams as they came forth, day by day. Vern saw Bukowski as a shadowy, guide figure who was depressed about his psychological state, a parallel to Vern himself, sitting in his cold, dark, isolated house. Vern's buddy Sal said he must leave this place, which Vern interpreted psychologically, that Vern's masculinity was stuck in one spot not moving anywhere. And Vern, understanding the Minotaur's labyrinth as a long-known symbol for the unconscious, Vern saw he was deep in the unconscious. In the pull dream, Vern saw this too as a symbol of the unconscious. With plants and vines, Mother Nature herself starting to engulf him within it. And when the woman looked at Vern and asked, So how long are you staying here? It hit Vern on the head like the lightning bolts and snake bites he was all too familiar with. He knew immediately he was in the grips of the unconscious, that he was in the deep abyss. He had turned within for too long. His introverted state, along with his libido, had not yet returned to the upper world, to physical reality. He was living within himself, deep within his own psyche, deep in the arms of the symbolic mother that is the unconscious. And here Vern was, he had overstayed his welcome, swimming around in the dark ocean, the womb and the tomb of the symbolic realm. 
the mysterious realm of the unconscious lured and captivated Vern. Vern then dialogued with himself. A person looked at me and said, Do you know that which brings you to your knees? Follow it. This must be the solution. Look at what dropped you to your knees recently. Your mother. The pain. We must follow this pain. We must sit in this fire. There's more to it, and it's somehow connected to the archetype of the Great Mother. Vern reflected deeper on his current state. He had been living within this whole time, still turning away from the outside world to which he was barely awake. Vern had brought his conscious mind into the unconscious and stayed there, rather than bringing the unconscious contents to his conscious mind and living. Fern was the hermit in the deep, dark forest of the symbolic tales told time and again. The wanderer of the cave, like the Iroquois leader Hiawatha, who retreated into the forest for three nights with nothing but his dreams and visions. In many of the great mythologies, this is when the hero of such stories must fight his way through or struggles to leave the forest, the cave, the depths of the castle, the crossing of the ocean or even the belly of the whale. Vern knew he was living within the realm of the Great Mother and that it was time for him to leave. Vern's mind was immediately engulfed by the two dreams after Marie had died. Vern loudly stated to himself, Holy shit, that was the unconscious calling to me. I can still hear it. Vern, 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 my mother in that dream. It was you, the unconscious, wasn't it? My mother was a symbol. She was the personification of you, the great mother archetype, the unconscious. Holy shit, you were calling to me. You wanted my introversion, my self-inquiry. You wanted me to look and turn within so my life could be renewed from the pain I had so deeply endured. And beautifully enough, I answered the call. But now, here I am staying beyond my welcome. How was one to leave our inner depths anyways? Reflecting further on this mystery surrounding the archetypal mother, Vern realized how he had unconsciously been pursuing the inner castle, the nourishing womb of the great mother, the unconscious itself. Feeling this realization, Vern knew it was time to regain his masculinity and free himself from the now-consuming nature of the unconscious. This has been spoken of through depth psychology time and time again, and even within various mythologies from around the world. And what Vern realized is this was not an outer, but an inner battle. Vern knew consciousness was the answer. So, he continued reading and seeking to understand fully what it means to be under the control of the unconscious. Participating with and integrating unconscious contents into the conscious mind is no easy feat. Vern, in being honest with himself, noticed he held contradictory desires. For one, to return to the physical world, but also to live within the mystical realm of the unconscious and the dreams and visions in which he provides. Sensing the beauty of the depths within, Vern now knew the maternal unconscious, the inner depths of each individual, is the place which all the treasures mentioned within stories, mythologies, and spiritualities, are contained. Vern knew the unconscious holds regenerative and healing powers. However, Vern knew his libido, his prana, 
his vital breath, his life force, was being held by the dragon in the abyss. But this dragon, this beast, was his own ego consciousness, clinging to the unconscious. Vern had to learn how to tear his own life force from the grip of the unconscious, to become the hero of his own personal myth. But somehow, Vern knew sheer force was not the answer. Rather, a sacrifice was required. Vern kept dreaming in the days to come, and there he recorded. I saw a man walking down the staircase of a castle, with a red dragon following him. The dragon appeared docile. Vern awoke and saw his own shadow descended further into the depths with the demon, but now under his control, to regain what was Vern's. Vern dreamt another. I was standing near a lake. There was a powerful monster standing next to it, who I had to fight. Someone said to me, Fight this battle now, so it won't be a problem later. Vern's own unconscious, the very thing he had to leave, was simultaneously acting as the guiding function, telling him to not run from this battle, but stay and fight, so you can transgress this problem and be free of it before it becomes worse. Vern had another dream. I saw a thin, dark woman, smoking, finally had caught up with her. Vern was beginning to release the dark feminine rule over himself, and she, beginning to succumb to her own intrapsychic death. Often psychic factors must die, so new ones may come to life. The problem remained, however. Vern did not understand how to free his ego-conscious desire from the unconscious. He kept dreaming, as the battle raged to free his introverted libido. Vern dreamt. Jessica, my friend's older sister, sent me a text message. Her number had an area code which was very close to mine in proximity, much closer than her actual number in physical life, as she lives numerous counties away. She said to me, Trust and live. Go with time. That it is the beauty. Vern had to sit in contemplative reflection with this dream. During his beginning days of recording dreams, he had a lengthy dream which stated, time is an illusion. But Vern was beginning to understand. The time is an illusion dream was to pull his ego consciousness at that period of his life outside the constraints of time and space. The archetypes of the inner world do not operate within this limited dimension. Thus, in order to understand our inner world, one must remove themselves from it and dive into the inner depths where time and space do not exist. But Vern was beginning to see the other side to it all now. Vern thinks very highly of Jessica in reality, and here she assumes this positive anima form, symbolically getting closer to Vern through the symbol presented as the area code change. She provided him advice he needed to hear, Trust in what is before you. Go and live your life. Time exists in the physical dimension. Do not neglect it or its beauty. Vern realized when one has navigated the realm of the inner depths, built a relationship within, and the inner life now has order, so beautifully represented by geometric patterns and shapes, 
Then it becomes time for one to return to the physical world of time and space and live anew with what one has discovered within. Vern had another dream. Sal was talking about this river trip in a canoe. It is very swift water through and near trees and their root systems. He was talking about how fun it would be, but I said, yeah, but if we flip, we're done due to the roots in the trees. Vern's best friend here, in the form of a shadow guide, is talking about the journey itself. Sal is right though. It is swift, fast, and fun, and it moves through the trees and roots. Roots are a symbol of one's inner being. They exist and extend deep within and provide structure, foundation, and support for how we act in the outer world. Thus, the dream letting Vern know that he is traveling deep in his being. And Vern saying, yeah, but if we flip, we're done, is showing him his own fear in traversing these depths. But in a manner of warning as well, if you flip, that is, back into the deep water of the unconscious, you're done. Vern couldn't mistake understanding that true risk of annihilation exists when one remains in the deep for too long. A humbling comment to hear. Vern had another dream. I heard someone say, always flow, even of the pace at once. This is a compensatory dream for Vern. In the face of this mounting psychic pressure, he was beginning to move as fast as he could to alleviate the tension of the situation. In doing so, he was becoming stressed. Here, the unconscious is still guiding Vern, sharing the gentle reminder to simply flow with what is, and at the speed in which the path naturally operates. Vern dreamt again. I was walking alongside a cornfield. I then saw a primitive-looking bearded man with long hair. He was standing in the middle of the cornfield, and I knew he was the protector of it. He continued to watch me close as I walked through it. Vern didn't have the slightest idea what to take from this dream, but as Vern continued with his work, literally the next day in synchronistic timing, he stumbled upon the ancient mythology of Hiawatha again, and Hiawatha's encounter with Mondamin, the corn god. There, Hiawatha must battle Mondamin for the maize. That is the golden harvest, which symbolizes the treasure which exists within the unconscious. Across myth, the crossing of thresholds has long been indicated by battles which exist at these moments. Vern knew a battle to cross the threshold from the feminine unconscious back into the physical world which is the field of masculine consciousness was upon him. However, this dream revealed more to Vern in the days to come. Vern knew this man was somehow also a personification of Vern's own introversion. That part of Vern that desires to stay right where he is and to protect his inner treasure. Vern was beginning to see the inner battle, which needed to be, though. And at that, Vern sat back, jaw dropped in awe, and observing how archetypal motifs persist from ancient times and mythologies to modern day. This was not his first occurrence of seeing mythological symbols in his dreams, and nor would it be the last. 
Vern knew this protector of the cornfield in his dream was the protector of the golden harvest, Mondamin, with whom Vern must battle to regain his independence and freedom. As this figure looked onto Vern with careful, aggressive eyes in the dream, Vern knew this was the initial confrontation with the archetype. As Vern continued to do his work and analyze his dreams, he watched the archetypal drama playing out in further dreams. Vern dreamt again. I saw their protector of the cornfield. He was sprinting at me in the hallway of my own house. A battle had just begun. Vern continued studying mythology. He saw the parallels in the motifs, which live on within our psychic structure, from ancient spiritualities and mythologies. He continued his work, his reading, his writing, and his analyzing. He was still learning how to pull himself out. But then he began to catch himself day by day. One afternoon, as Vern was about to leave his house, he thought to himself, Man, I don't want to go anywhere. I just want to stay here with my dreams. In an instant, Vern caught himself. That's it. That's your longing for the unconscious. Your desire to remain within. To live with only your dreams. But we can't do that. We can't stay in this introverted state. We have to come back out. Days continued to elapse with moments just as this one. He began to see his introverted consciousness. This was part of the battle. Becoming conscious of every moment, he desired to stay within. Every little moment brought a slight increase in his consciousness, which began to elicit changes in his attitude and behavior. Although Vern was beginning to catch on, he still felt he needed to step outside into the physical world somehow but he saw externalization in these attempts. Vern knew his libido was directed inward still. He knew the libido, the life energy, needed to somehow flip around in his being, do a 180-degree turn, and drive outward into the world. Vern knew he could go about and do anything in the outer world, but the longing for the inner world would still be present unless he redirected this energy. And this is the beginning of the sacrifice, of giving up this inner longing for the true life we are called to live in the physical world. And this, just as Mithras slayed the bull, that primitive energy that wants to turn within, Vern must sacrifice that same energy to return to the outer world. Vern kept working, and he began to see why he longed for the unconscious. The unconscious is the source which provided so much light to him and sent the dreams that had been so very instrumental in his life. He now saw how he did not want to leave something so beautiful, so graceful, so nourishing, so soul-rejuvenating. Vern desired to remain within that which taught him so much about life, but Vern was becoming more conscious by the moment of his personal situation. He had to strive forward. He had to listen to the dreams. The thing he clung to was the very thing telling him to leave. However, if he were to make it out of the unconscious with his sanity, he would have to sacrifice. Vern must sacrifice his desire to remain within. The myths exist across the world regarding sacrifice. There are those who remain trapped under the binding spell of the unconscious, and they never leave if a sacrifice is not made. 
It was Joseph Campbell, the great comparative mythologist, who said, Saintly ones are reported to have passed away while in the supernal ecstasy. Numerous indeed are the heroes, fabled to have taken up residence forever in the blessed isle of the unaging goddess of immortal being. And that is the unconscious. Thus the fulfillment of the work remains in returning to the world, returning and living with what one has discovered in their own inner depths. As Vern sat still, he finally admitted to himself, I'm beginning to see it. I have been ruled by the unconscious. I have known I was under its grips, but to word it in this manner, I am able to see the unconscious was my ruling function over my conscious mind. The conscious mind is a piece I have neglected, which is my masculine side. This is my ability to judge, to discern, differentiate, act, and more. I realized the unconscious could have told me anything through dreams or visions, and I would have jumped. Of course I've been under its spell. But this conscious mind is equally important as the unconscious. These are two aspects of our psyche. We must work with both of them. We descend into the depths to know this other world, but then we come back up again renewed with fresh insight and understanding. We recognize the heart and soul dwell in this other world, yet they guide one through the physical. We begin to move under spirit rather than law. We move with the innate understanding of what the heart sees and hears above what only the eyes once saw and ears heard. This understanding comes from within. The heart and soul communicate to us through the divine knowledge of intuition. We come to discover that we can live a life so absurdly free that in every single moment there is an intuitive feeling, a wisdom we know we can trust with wholehearted faith. This was the greatest thing I learned about the situation with Mia. Had I simply trusted the intuition, the amount of suffering I had endured would have been non-existent or at least quickly mitigated. It's beautiful to reflect on that now despite the pain. Intuition is a divine gift to move with in this world. To move with it is our innate flow. I must move back out and live. The innate flow is the union between the unconscious and the conscious and it's as one, and where it seeks to take us in this life. It is each one's very own authenticity in this physical life, and therewith, anything and everything that entails. As Vern was in the midst of understanding how to fully walk across the threshold, to cross the invisible line between the unconscious and the conscious mind, another dream then came forth. Vern recorded, Sal and I were standing next to a statue of a man riding a horse. Sal walked up to the statue and noticed words were inscribed on the bottom of it. I then heard Sal read them out loud. He read, There is nothing to cross. It is all right here. A rather short dream which might go unnoticed if left unrecorded. But this proved to be just what Vern needed. Vern went about his morning ritual and coffee. He leaned back into his chair, lit the cigarette, and contemplated deeply. There is nothing to cross. It is all right here. This dream is compensatory to my personal conscious mind. 
I'm seeing the situation as I have a border, a line, a river to cross. But it's not so. Everything is right here. The inner world discovered by introversion is but another dimension of the outer world. The inner world and the outer world are not separate, but one. And I am not in another dimension, but this dimension, the inner world, the unconscious, it's right here among us, and it's accessible. Fern retrieved his journal and began to write. I once said in my 20s, my greatest desire in life, the thing I single-handedly wanted the most, was to be accepted by nature. I didn't even know what that truly meant, but I can see it now. I longed for nature as I knew her then, in her physical form of the animals, trees, winds, rains, and storms. I spent so much time camping, canoeing, and hiking, and wandering. I wanted her to accept me into the wild. It was my place, where I always felt one with the world. The beauty now is I can see the depth. I see the way nature works within me as well. She guides, she destroys, and then blossoms again. This all occurs in the inner world as well, and through her too. I wandered the nature of my depths. In the darkness of the wooded forest, I camped alongside my soul. Our psychological structure is nature too, and one is never apart from nature. My outward physical desire for her then is the same desire to be accepted into her inner world of nature as well. But here within, I stayed for too long. I clung to the inner side and neglected the outer. I see now, nature consistently is. It will always be moving, forward striving, evolving to its highest potential within and without. And now, I must come back out and live what has been discovered within. Vern sat and contemplated the time since his initial introspection in Afghanistan, and he began to see how his values, beliefs, and truths had been changed. He now saw the world in a different manner. He no longer believed a fraction of the things he did before his descent into the unconscious. He came to know the spiritual dimension that exists right here. He saw the divine as it lives among us. He saw how the spiritual correlates to one's psychological structure. He saw the consciousness that lives in each and every person. He saw the hero within everyone he came across. He had compassion for humanity, and he saw the need for those who are willing to turn within and make the descent. He saw and felt how humans are not apart from nature. He saw the way in which nature lives within us. He came to know his very own soul, the feminine that he also was. And Vern knew, all is one. Nothing is separate. The truth is in the totality, in the wholeness, and in the union. Vern knew these treasures discovered in the depths of the unconscious are the realizations which change the way one sees. He saw how they change one's behaviors, attitudes, patterns, values, beliefs, and truths. How it alters one's inner psychological structure of how one sees the world. Inevitably, this changes how one moves through the world as well. One begins to move with a new eye, a rejuvenated heart, and a clean soul. In this manner, he felt a new life was blossoming. 
He went to his computer, opened it, and began to write. He felt the energy within begin to shift. Something was changing, and he knew it. He could feel it. Vern was concretizing what he had discovered. By writing, he was employing the masculine trait of action to concretize the abstract. Vern leaned back for a moment, and as he said aloud to himself, I now realize this work is my journey to healing, and the healing is the union of the unconscious and the conscious mind. These are the two worlds, but in truth they are one. Together they promote the ability to fulfill our wholeness. For two days, animated by this returning masculine energy and a dawning new life chapter, Vern wrote for what seemed to be unending hours, and he did so with joy and happiness for what is. The past month's tension immediately released, dissipated into nothingness. He was free. He breathed in deep, breath full and clear, balance restored. Vern watched the clouds move slowly at the exact rhythm they were intended to flow. He watched the wind blow through the uncut grass of his family's pasture. Vern heard the birds as they sang their evening songs. Vern felt the wood of the chair he was sitting on and the smoothness it brought to the palm of his hands. Vern breathed in deep through his nostrils and smelt the life-bringing rain coming from afar. Vern crawled into bed this evening with a newfound peace among him. Vern soon dreamt. I was down in a valley. I saw Whitney Houston. She was next to me singing the song, I Will Always Love You. I looked up on this hill or mountain ridge, and I see a group of people looking down. There are about 20 of them gathered and they are listening to the song. I knew I should be standing up there with them. Vern reached out to Jessamine to discuss what he was experiencing. She encouraged him to always read song lyrics when they arise within a dream. In Whitney Houston's song, I Will Always Love You, is literally a goodbye. In fact, Vern recalls sitting in a car seat as a young child in the back seat of his mother's car, watching and listening as Marie sang this song quite often. Whitney Houston, a personification of the symbolic mother archetype in this dream, was beginning to let Vern go. Despite the darkness of the unconscious, it also possesses great beauty, and so she, with all the characteristic beauty of the unconscious, tells Vern through the music and the lyrics, If I should stay, I would only be in your way. So I'll go, but I know I'll think of you every step of the way. Bittersweet memories, that is all I'm taking with me. So goodbye, please don't cry. We both know I'm not what you need. I hope life treats you kind, and I hope you have all you've dreamed of. And I'm wishing you joy and happiness. But above all this, I wish you love. And I will always love you. Vern felt a tear flow down as he listened to the lyrics. He felt it within. The grip of the mother archetype was letting him go as he was beginning to understand her mysterious ways. 
Vern thought within. What a fucking wild journey. I've been the dreamy-natured INFJ Pisces, living in the symbolic, mystical wonderland of the unconscious. But it's time to go home, wherever that is, whatever that may be. Thank you, my inner world. You have been guiding me all along, and I am grateful. Can we just take a minute to think about one of Vern's dreams you heard today? Where he heard that voice. Do you know that which drops you to your knees? Follow it. That question, those words came through a dream he had. And if we sit with the origin of that, as in, where does that come from? Where's that question coming from? Where are those words residing? We know that dreams come from the unconscious, but it opens the door to bigger questions. Is it the unconscious itself that provides the dreams? Or is it the mode in which the dreams come through? And if so, who's asking the questions? Who asked Vern, do you know that which drops you to your knees? Follow it. It's a guiding dream telling him to follow the pain he encountered. That pain of dropping to his knees, to follow it, to embrace it, to give it life, to give it expression. You can see how the dreams, they guide us and aid us on our journey in this just wild mystery of working with life in the outer world as well as our inner world life because they're always connected. That mystery of where they come from. Is it the divine? Is it God? Is it the self? It's wild to sit with it and it's beautiful and it's okay that we ask these big questions sometimes. And it's also okay if we don't always have the answers. If we had all the answers in life, it would lose its mystery, it would lose its meaning, it would lose its playfulness if everything was known, everything set in stone. It's the unknown that makes life so beautiful, so fascinating, so deep, so rich. This is Paradigm Run. I've been your host, Mark Barrios. Thanks for listening. And as always, more to come.